Eternal God and Father, we uh, thank you for this good day. We thank you for the wonderful fellowship that we have, that we can be together, uh, that we can see one another, enjoy laughter, and share times of our lives. Um, we ask a blessing upon us as we enter this uh, study time together. We ask a blessing on Dean and uh, as he leads those thoughts. Um, Father, we just pray as we always get together and study your word that we'll glorify and honor you and that we'll leave here, Father, better prepared to um, love one another throughout this life and look for ways that we can do good so that all the glory and honor again will be given to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Keith Crow. <laughs> Learn to be specific. Oh, man, it's good to be with you all. Um, welcome to those joining us online. I wish uh, I, I knew who that was, but I had a great conversation with uh, John Lawrence this week, who you know when they are able to physically be here is, is absolutely one of our leaders in, in this class. And so, um, John, if you're there, I love you. And um, Gene and all the others that join us. Um, I keep saying this, I just haven't had a chance to figure it out, but I want to try to find a way, even if it's just zooming in, uh, John, if you want to text me, I'll try to keep an eye out for it, um, but uh, I can't promise that because I'm looking and talking, but um, we're, we'll do something to where the people that are out, uh, that are streaming in can also uh, share with us. We're, we're working on that, so uh, pray for technological giftedness to come somewhere. It's not going to be here. Um, all right, I, uh, to, to lead into, uh, we're beginning a new chapter in, in uh, the book that we're dialoguing with. Again, we're exploring Christian community, uh, kingdom community, we could even say, uh, off of the beautiful message that uh, Bill shared with us today. But we're going to do that uh, together in a conversation with the book Life Together, uh, written by the great Christian martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And here's, here's the way I want to start thinking. Uh, we're dialoguing with a chapter, the beginning of the chapter called the day with others. So it's literally focusing on uh, the dynamics and the practice of being with other followers of Jesus, right? So there's a um, community is based also as a whole chapter on the day alone. Like there, what we do in our times of solitude and silence and, and private uh, connection with God actually feeds into community. We'll talk about that later. So this is the actual practice of being together. Um, here's the way I want to think about it. I, I have just barely started picking up uh, the guitar again and trying to fumble with that. I used to play it very, very badly a little bit years ago. Literally haven't played it since we've been in Tennessee, so that's a long time. So on, on my day off, I, I wanted to start adding in that practice just to start plinking and playing again. I uh, didn't get to do that this week. Some other things got in the way, but the last couple of weeks have been playing. And, and it, it made me think back to me of, of all the things that are difficult for me. Some are natural. You see the guys get up here and just do it beautifully here. Some are natural. I, music in any way doesn't, doesn't never come natural to me. Uh, but I'll tell you one of the things that's most difficult. If you ever try to play the guitar, there are all sorts of things that are hard. Actually changing chords. I remember when I first started playing and I would try, try to sing. And then I have to stop and sing the next couple. And then, change, you know, it would take me, you know, an hour just to change the chord. It, still kind of fumble in that way or just the fingering on the fretboard and all that stuff. But I'll tell you the number one thing for me that is difficult is rhythm. <laughs> and I will tell you, I'm that guy that I can't clap and sing at the same time. I can't sing, but I can't, certainly can't do this two at the same time. And so I'm horrible at rhythm. And, and I remember me and, and my, my friend Mike, when we first started trying to, to play uh, back in Virginia, and we'd try to play together, or some of the friends that uh, Matt, Ray, you remember him in Texas, just a brilliant musician and just a great uh, uh, just a great guitar player, and I would try to play with other people, 
And it's like, I, I would technically know what I'm supposed to do. I would know the chords. I would do that. And then I get, you know, halfway through the song, and they're looking at me like, what are you doing? I couldn't keep the beat. I couldn't keep the rhythm. Now, here's the thing in music. You find this out pretty quickly. If you screw up your rhythm in the group, you know what that does? It messes everybody up, right? Even the best musicians, right? I, I, you know, I'm thinking this guy, Matt, that I know, that's just, he knows music theory as well as playing and all that kind of stuff, but I can mess him up because my rhythm is off and he's trying to either go with me or ignore me. Neither one is easy to do when you're playing together. Now, here's what I've learned. The reality, what is true about music is even more true about life. When I am out of my rhythm, it affects everybody around me in my circle. It spills over. Isn't this true? Is there any lesson that we have seen more powerfully since COVID hit? Are we a little off <laughs> in the way we interact with each other? Some of that happened. Are our kids just a little bit off in their learning? <laughs> Because the rhythms that we are used to stepping into that shape us more than we know are off. And when our rhythm is off, it affects everybody that is supposed to be playing with us. Does that make sense? So I want to think about, um, Bonhoeffer leads us there, but as you know, Scripture takes the lead. And I can't think of a better place to talk about rhythm than the, the music part of the Bible. And you'll see this fits into his discussion as well. In the book of Psalms, I want to look uh, briefly at one and then a little bit longer at another. So let's start in Psalm 5. Um, Psalm 5 is, uh, is written here. Um, it says uh, a Psalm of David. We don't know. We'll see this. Um, it comes up even more when we, when we look at the next one. It, we don't know if the little subtitles are, are actually accurate or not. Um, they weren't original to the text, but... Um, when we look at I just want to look at the first seven verses here, and I want to think about this. This is a time when David, or whoever wrote it, is dealing with attacks and frustrations of people that are in his life around him, and how does he choose to kind of reconnect with his rhythm when the world is going crazy and people are going crazy? Again, can't imagine that would apply to us, <laughs> but when people are crazy all around you, what do you do? And, and so I, I just want to read this, and, uh, and what do you notice about how David handles literally evil people around him or people that are messing up his rhythm and the folks that are around him. Psalm 5. Uh, we'll just read, uh, like I said, seven verses. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. <clears throat> Excuse me. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, O Lord, detest. These are the people that are attacking him. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. What grabs you about this little excerpt of David working out his frustrations and difficulties in the community he finds himself in. What helps David and what's something we might be able to learn from? Do you have just a quick comment? You say it and then I'll repeat it. Or Keith, you're thinking something? This is Keith Crow. Could you hand it? <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, I know we've read this. It's pretty obvious, but the morning seems to be a time for him. 
And, and maybe that's before the rhythm of life, as you des described it, can have an opportunity to get out, get out of rhythm. That's a great way to begin, I guess. Yes, yes, it's huge. Have, have we heard this before when you look through the Psalms, right? In the morning. So here, here's the thing. Well, we can talk about other stuff too, but this is obviously why we went here, especially if you've read the chapter. Don't you, again, nobody has to read the chapter in the book. You know that's where he goes. But think, well, let's think about this in two steps. Where is David going <clears throat> to get back in step with what's going on when everybody else is attacking him? Where and when? So you brought the when. Well, let's come back to the when in a moment. Where does he go? To the temple. By the way, anything strange about that? But anybody that knows a little bit of history, this is why we wrestle with this a little bit. Why would it be very strange to David, for David to say, I'm praying toward your temple? Don't feel bad if you don't know, but some of you know he that. He didn't get to build the temple. Huh? He didn't get to build the temple. He didn't get to build the temple. There ain't no temple. <laughs> right? There's no physical temple. If you, if you don't know the story, here's the, here's the way it goes. David feels called and led. Hey, I got a beautiful house, but God doesn't have a house, so I want to build it. And God says, you got too much blood on your hands, boy. I love you. So you can get all the stuff ready, but you don't get to build it. Your son's going to build it. So what in the world do we do with this fact? I mean, this, this language here. A psalm of David, David prays toward the temple. A any thoughts, by the way? There's some, several different things we can do with it. I'll throw it out here, so I don't want to get sidetracked too much, but I, wh where I end up with it might, might help us with a big picture, but you might do something different. Any, any thoughts on that? Anybody want to wrestle with that? Yeah, da David? The, not the David of the Bible. Sorry, we got to <laughs> clarify it. That's not on. There you go. Um, for David, there was a great sense, though, of a place to be in the presence of God. Yes. And I don't know, I can't think off the top of my head where this is, where uh, David did, on the holy mountain, on, on the mount, yeah. created a place. Right. And he brought his songs. Uh, he's, he, 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 he created a whole mess of songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he was constantly singing yeah. Um, so in his mind and in his his spiritual walk, he had a place. Yeah. And even, I think there's a place that I can't think Yeah, of was there, I, and, and it's testing me too, I should have done some background. Shiloh he, comes to my mind, but I'm not sure that's right, but yeah. But anyway, so I hear for, you. Yeah. for him, there was a place. And I, he calls it a temple, I don't know if the language in here is yep. actually what that is, but he had a place in his mind and yeah. uh, that was significant to him right. where he went. I think that's beautiful, and I think that's a... For me, that's kind of a way that I like to read this. By the way, because we are going to talk about the Psalms in a moment, I just throw this out here. A couple of other ways to go about this. Number one, you can say the little subscript that says a Psalm of David isn't, isn't part of the original, so it may just not be right, okay? And that's fine. We can do it that way. Um, two other ones I prefer. The other one is to recognize that Scripture was not just written. It wasn't a, a Holy Spirit um, dictating through court stenographer. Right? This is just a good moment to remind ourselves of that, right? If that's the picture you got, I, I kind of got that picture growing up. That is not the way God has inspired Scripture. Great example of this is let Scripture tell us that. Go look at Luke um, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, or 3 sometime. Just go look at it. Luke tells you, like this is one of the Gospels, so he's an inspired writer of Scripture, and he said, I'm giving this to you so you can know the certainty of what you've been taught. By the way, I went and researched it. 
Think about this. Luke said, I researched Jesus stories because there are a lot of Jesus stories bouncing around. A lot of them are crazy. We actually have some of the crazy ones. Luke said, I wanted to give a good one. I researched it. What? Hold on. If Holy Spirit dictating, you know, stenographer, he doesn't need to research nothing. <laughs> Sorry, my grammar. I'm just playing with you. But he, he didn't have to do that. Oh, unless inspiration isn't this little rote robotic thing God dances with the one who is writing and he uses it and Luke wrote like a doctor and Luke wrote like someone who dug and researched and used the community so so number one inspiration isn't this little mechanical thing number two and this is incredibly important when you look at the process of the canon right we got some people that have been studying this a little bit right this is incredibly important canon not the thing that blows stuff up canon the rule the, the standard scripture that we have God inspired, here. this, is really important. God inspired a process, not just a guy. So we see, for example, yes, Moses was a primary author of the, of the Pentateuch, but he most certainly didn't write all of it. Two examples. Number one, Moses probably did not write. Moses was the most humble man on earth. I don't know if that would have worked. <laughs> Somebody else wrote that part. Moses certainly didn't recount the details of his own death. All right, so at the very least, somebody brought that in, but what we know probably better is the whole community. Yeah, he wrote and testified and shared it, but the whole community, God inspired the entire early faith community to put together, here's the Torah. And that's exactly what happened, why you have the 66 books you have, because God inspired not just the people who wrote it, but the church that put it together. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? So it's possible that David wrote the early form of this psalm, and then the community came in and made it more their own as they continued to pray it and pray it and pray it. That's kind of cool. I got totally sidetracked on that, but it's helpful to learn the way we read Scripture. I tend, for me personally, I tend to go the way the other David went here to say God always intended to have a temple. The temple just was never, even when there was a physical building, right? The temple was never located, bounded, and held in by some physical structure. Example, the book of Isaiah, even when they had a physical temple, do you remember this image? Isaiah gets a vision of God and it says, think of the, think of the imagery, the train, the train, just the hem of his robe filled the temple. You can't fit God into a box. We try. The temple is always, even when there is a physical structure, it been intended, now hear this, the temple of God has always been intended to be the entire world and not just a building. And so I think it's totally possible that David says, I'm praying toward your, what is the place that to get in the rhythm? I'm play, praying towards the place of your presence. And that can be anywhere, but if you're like me, and I do think that David the shepherd and later the David the king had his place. Do you have your place? Look at my friend, I have a sacred place where I go often on days off just to be alone with God and then we often get a chance to walk there together don't we Ken? That's a, that is a sacred space to me, a physical outdoor place where I encounter God. There's nothing magic about the place and yet that's my place. If I want to go connect with God, physically walking out, Pinkerton Park, it starts I start feeling it. Does that make sense? So I, I tend to go that way. Thanks for letting us go on a big sidetrack there. Where? How do we get into the rhythm of God? We, we look toward God's place. And that may be different for all of us. It could be a building. may not. And the when. When does he go? He goes in the morning. If you do have the book that Bonhoeffer writes, you can look at, plays, uh, at, at instance after instance after instance in the Psalms and outside of the Psalms that seem to say this. By the way, I pushed against this for a long time. 
but now I'm submitting to it. There's something special about the morning. Something special. Now, I want to say this a hundred times over because I used to hear people like my friend Terry Smith, who is a spiritual giant. He, how long did he say it? Now, I meet with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit every morning. For Terry, it's probably two hours. Okay, I'm not that holy. <laughs> so here's, here's one I just want to throw out there. What if, we'll come back again and again to the practical side, but before you get lost in thinking that, that any of this is directing to us to three hours in the morning, it could be five minutes. Hear me. It could be five minutes. But it seems to be in scripture and in church history, there is something about setting the rhythm of my soul to the heartbeat of God when I get up. When I first, even before, as I awake. And I'm not going to proof text it for you, but I challenge you, go look through the Psalms and see how often it says in the morning, early in the morning, in the morning, in the morning, there's something sacred about it. Or, or the one, <laughs> I laugh about this, the one happy verse in Lamentations. It's the only one we know. It says a lot about it. The one happy verse, verse in Lamentations. You know what it is? Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new. When? Come on, say it. When? Every morning, there is something about the gift of God that is fresh each day when I wake up in the morning. That tends to be the rhythm. The one other thing I would drop in there, we've said this before, but I think it's really helpful for me to think in this way. It's a posture, not a little checklist. Again, five minutes, three minutes, one line. A posture, not a little checklist, not a legalistic thing. Here's something that helped me years ago. I, I know I've taught it in this class before. Let me remind you of this. I credit Eugene Peterson for this in a, in a, in a little book that he wrote. Uh, the guy who translated the translation called a message. <clears throat> uh, here in America and in most places in the world, when we think about a day, we think of morning and evening, or morning, noon, and evening. Isn't that what we say? We, morning through evening. That is not the way the Bible introduces a day. Does anybody remember what it was? He created the world. What, how, how was that rhythm? Say it loud, anybody. What, Emily? It was, go look through Genesis, it says it six times at least, six, right? It was evening, then morning, the first day. Now, I don't know what to do with that originally historically. I love what Eugene Peterson does with it. It's transformed my life to think this way. Now, I want to say, part of the reasons I pushed against this for a long time, I am not a morning person. I'm not. I, I'm a campus minister by heart, so I've always been a late-night guy. I've disciplined myself. Some of you will laugh. I discipline myself now to go to bed around 11 or 11.30, get up at around 7.30, and I do my morning stuff. Now, some of you instantly think I'm ungodly because I didn't get up at 5. <laughs> right? God will deal with you. <laughs> but, but hear me. Here's what I love. Even for you who get up at 4.30 in the morning, you know what, you know what Scripture tells us? Ah, you late riser. No matter how early you get up for the day, God's already been working a 12-hour day. Isn't that kind of cool? We're asleep. He does not need us. You woke up to a world that you did not have to begin, and you were not initiating the work. I think it's a really important perspective. As early as I get up, I'm woken up, and I step into the world God has already got his hands all over, and he says, son or daughter, come on in. Isn't that beautiful? It was the evening, it was morning, first. just come on in. You sleep, well, however long you sleep, you get up early, you get up a little bit later, you're still jumping into the day. So here's the thought, and Bonhoeffer says this so powerfully. What if we consecrated every morning by t when and where, wherever your temple is, 
by turning the focus of our hearts towards God in the morning. Uh, let me give you his language because it's incredibly powerful. And again, don't turn this legalistic. Let's think about a posture. Uh, this is on page 41. If you have uh, the, the translation I've got, uh, the, the front might be yellow or it might be like this. If you have the other one, um, forgive me. Something special about the history of God's people about the morning. The early, listen to this. The early morning belongs to the church of the risen Christ. Doesn't belong to you. Doesn't belong to me. God's already been spinning the world. Think church in the global sense. This is where it overlaps with kingdom. The early church belongs, uh, the early morning begins the church of the risen Christ. At the break of light, the church remembers the morning on which death and sin were brought low in defeat and a new life and salvation were given to human beings. Uh, think about how often the writers of scripture go out of their way to say early in the morning on the first day of the week, we get the resurrection story. So we got the rhythm of the Old Testament, Bonhoeffer says, evening, morning, and, and then you step into the new covenant. Early in the morning, the new life and light of God breaks into the world. It's not my time. Now hear me, this sounds kind of deep and philosophical. I'm telling you, it gets to a very practical thing in a moment. Um, uh, in page four, uh, later on the same page, 41 and 42, listen to this. Morning does not belong to the individual, it belongs to the church. What if I say, if I'm a follower of Jesus... I'm not waking up just for me and just with me. Did you know even if you're single, you've been single a long time, you don't wake up alone, not if you're in Christ. You wake up together with all of the people of God who are alive now and who have gone before. I think that's kind of cool. Trust me, it'll get very practical in a moment, but get the picture. Morning does not belong to the individual. It belongs to the church of the triune God, to the Christian family, to the community of brothers and sisters and innumerable are the ancient hymns, go look through the Psalms, that call the congregation to common praise of God in the early morning. So here's the practical thing for me. I do not wake up in charge, and I do not wake up alone. I do not wake up in charge of this world, and I do not wake up alone. <clears throat> so here's a suggestion of what not to do and what to do. And again, I read this as an aspiration. I promise you, I struggle with the not to do part every day. Page 43 and 44. For Christians at the beginning of the day, sorry, the beginning of the day should not be burdened and haunted by the various concerns for the upcoming day's work. What? He said, look, we all will go there if you're like me. But there's a moment to surrender. When I wake up, it's not immediately going to what do I have to do today? Listen to this. Oh, I love this language. This is why I read books like this. The Lord stands above the new day for God made it. I wake up, he's already working. The Lord stands above the day for God has made it. All the darkness and the confusion of the night with its dreams... Is night difficult for you sometimes? It is for me. Gives way to the clear light of Jesus Christ and his awakening word. All restlessness, all impurity, all worry and anxiety flee before him. You can let it all go. Therefore, in the early morning hours of the day, here's the suggestion. May our many thoughts and our many idle words be silent. And may the first thought and the first word belong to the one to whom our whole life belongs. Wow. What, 
I'm telling you, this one simple practice, I just want to lean into it, this one simple practice can transform your life. When I wake up, give my first word and my first thought to the one who made the day. Wow. Yes. Keith. All right, Dean, you and I have talked about this personally several times, and uh, I will be vulnerable in front of brothers and sisters here. Uh, I do struggle with idolatry, uh, and I don't mean you know, bowing before a calf. I mean uh, letting something get between me. Does this help? Okay. Uh, I don't mean bowing before a calf. What I mean uh, by that is I struggle with letting something get between me and God. Okay. Uh, at this moment in my life, at 40 years old, I'm in my prime production years uh, working for a company that is just, I mean, we're hitting grand slams every day, and the requirement that comes from that uh, is hours, effort, uh, and basically everything I have. And very quickly, when I get up in the morning at 5, I can let my mind go to work, occupation, producing caring for my family. Uh, and as Dean and I have started walking this path together the last year, one of the things uh, that um, has made a world of difference in my world, and you can testify to this, I get up, swing my feet over the side of the bed, and before my feet hit the floor, uh, I recite a very old prayer. Glory be to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. That moment in the morning sets my day because in a very few words we've now said the trinity is here they were here when i woke up he's already been here working his plan before i get out of the bed and he will be here after i walk out of this room i think i haven't read bonhoeffer in a couple of years but i think the piece to this that I, I don't like to talk like this in front of groups but i think the piece to this is you made the word or used the word posture the piece of this that really hits me and is, is hitting me at the, this moment, this isn't just a morning thing. This is a first thing. Beautifully okay. The said. first part of my day, I commune with God. I walk into Dean's office. The first part of that should be inviting God into the room. The first seconds I start a new task, invite God into that task. The first moments of a new relationship I need to give him that portion as well. Um, and I think that's what's hitting me here because this is hard for me right now. Uh, because when I get up in the morning at five o'clock, I try to dedicate an hour to an hour and a half to this. Um, two years ago, I would have told you, there's no way in the world I could ever do that. And now I find myself saying it's not enough. Um, but I think that the life together is where it gets hard. And I think what gets really hard is I can have this conversation with y'all because I know we're chasing the same God. You know, some of us are running really fast. Some of us are already, already in that spot where they're communing and some of us are trying to get to that point. But I think where the struggle comes from is when I walk into a room with people that are not in this room right now and they don't want to be in this room right now. You know, I've been in that room far too long. I spent my life that person up until the last four or five years. Um, but in this moment, I'm just feeling convicted to say, here we are talking about the morning. Every part of our day has a first to it, whether it's that first minute we walk in, whether it's the first words that we say, and even the, the first part of our night, right? 
as we enter that, that time of rest uh, in that, lack of a better phrase, that daily Sabbath, we need to recognize it's okay to be there with him and not let anyone else in because hopefully throughout the day we've invited him in as we've moved throughout. So um, one of the reasons I love Bonhoeffer because it, it doesn't, there's so much more to his word than what he is saying. Yes. He, he'll talk about the morning, but the application goes throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the year. So for what it's worth, here it is. Absolutely. Beautifully said. Several things in there. Let's just highlight. Number one, let me say again, just because Jeff has built up to an hour and a half or whatever. That's not what anybody's saying for any of us. You can start, you can start with a one sentence. I, you know, we know each other well enough. He know what I wrote on in my page. Um, that somebody taught me this 10 years ago, and most days I do this. Ironically, I just want you to know, so, so I'm not like superhuman up here. On the day I'm teaching this, I didn't do it. I woke up thinking about this class. I'm just admitting it to you, okay? So I'm not Superman. But I can say, not with any pride, most days I do this. Most days now. I remember some years ago, let me just say something about that. I used to think like humility and leadership, but no, I don't pray as well as I could. Well, nobody does. But I, I remember hearing a guy, he was in his 50s, and he said, you know, part of the gift I give to my church is when we talk about it, he says, yes, I do pray every day. I, I do pretty much do that now. Um, not because I'm Superman. My favorite thing, again, to Terry Smith. Terry Smith, my, my buddy, just mentor in prayer, prays a long time in the morning. But this is what he said all the time. I don't pray it because I'm su some super saint. He said, I get up this way in the morning because I'm crippled. Oh, isn't that good? I'm emotionally crippled, spiritually crippled. If I don't connect with the one who made me, I'm going to limp throughout the rest of the day. I love that. Or I learned from my, my brothers and sisters in 12-step recovery, many of them will say the mantra of, I guess it started with Bill W. or something, they wake up in the morning and hit their knees. So posture, they physically will start on their knees. You don't have to do that. Make it your own. It could be five minutes, but there's something about the posture of that. So again, 10 years ago, a friend of mine said, maybe it's over that. Robert Benson taught me more about prayer than almost anybody else in life. He said, did you know for centuries, centuries, followers of Jesus have prayed this prayer in the morning? When I say this, when Jeff says this, you don't have to go do this, but just know that centuries people have been doing this. Psalm 51, verse 15, and then they pray the, the little, uh, what is it called, the Gloria, I think, um, that Jeff referred to. Psalm 51, 15 says this. Can you imagine starting every day with this? Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. That's it. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. It was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. In some form or another, in one language or another, there are probably a billion followers of Jesus that pray those words every day that David wrote a long time ago. And isn't it cool, before I start, here's what I'll do, trust me, I'll give all sorts of speeches in my mind. Because I know i got to meet so, such and such person, and I'm in conflict with them. i got this going on. Or on a day like this, I'm imagining this class, and I'm doing speeches. What if the first speech of my mouth and my heart was, Lord, open my lips and let me praise you with them. And I give glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make it your own. I'm just telling you, I love stealing stuff in the name of Jesus. So I love that. I, here's the other thing. Now, now think about this. Bonhoeffer is writing this in a time that they're having to do this in secret community. So it's like an extended retreat. So when he's talking about the morning prayers together with the church, 
He literally means they're getting together with the church. But what he's talking about applies even when you're not. So think about this. This is what's so powerful. However you do it, I want to encourage and invite you to step into this rhythm, this life-changing rhythm followers of Jesus have done for a long time and nobody taught me. Right? My fault, not theirs. When I wake up and pray this way, I am not praying alone. First of all, the words I'm praying, get another one. Here's two, two great simple starters. Get your favorite psalm, learn one line of it, pray it. I pray Psalm 23 to go to sleep. You've heard me say that again. And I will cut it off. At, literally, this is what I do when I can't sleep. Lord is my shepherd. And I skip a little bit. He makes me lie down. And I'm like, please do it. Seriously. Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. And I will fall asleep often, right? Get your favorite line of the psalm and do that. Or, or, we did it again today. The Lord's Prayer. And pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, here's the cool thing. I'm praying words that the church wrote, so to speak. The kingdom of God wrote. Someone in the kingdom wrote thousands of years ago. I'm already praying, not my own prayer. Do you hear me? I'm already joining in a prayer that's bigger than me. Number one. Number two. I know, I got it. We'll get there. Number two. I am praying words that people are praying all over the world right now or later on the day or before the day. Isn't that kind of cool? Think about this. When I'm praying the Psalms, we won't have time to get to this section, okay? We'll, we'll do this next week. But he talks about praying the Psalms and reading the Psalms. Do you understand one of the longest, oldest standing practices of prayer in the church and in the, or before the church was praying Psalms together? Did you know there are, there are little conclaves of people that we, I used to pick on, monks and monasteries, who pray, some of them, right, Jeff, pray the entire Psalms, what is it, every day? Certainly every month. So here's what I can promise you. Whatever psalm you pray, someone else on planet Earth right now is playing those words. I promise you that. I, I told you before, this beautiful picture, they set up the monasteries in Europe. Did you know this according to time zones? So that I used to, we make it so individual. You ever heard the verse, pray without ceasing? Okay, so I've got to not stop talking. No. We do that together as the church. So you know what they did with the monasteries? They set them up in time zones so that I just think this is so beautiful. Jeff, I keep looking at you because you get it, right? When one group of followers of Jesus finishes their prayer, the next one picks it up, and there is nonstop prayer all around the world. So think that I'm just inviting you to say, what if very simply we woke up in the morning and our first thought and words as much as we can go to God, number one. Number two, we do it with the mindset we are not praying alone. I am collecting myself. In fact, that's a word for a kind of prayer, a collect. I'm collecting myself with the prayers of the followers of Jesus all over the world. I'm not alone in this moment. Challenge conviction. Yes, Michael. Yeah, Bonhoeffer, of course, was in a lot of chaos. His what? Was in a lot of chaos. Yes, yes. His world was yes. And what I'm seeing about this passage that you're you're mentioning is it go back to Jacob and early in the morning, and we're talking about fourth watch time. Yeah. Early in the morning. Yes. He wrestled with the angel. Yes. David is wrestling. Jesus walked on the water um, at the fourth watch as the disciples were frustrated and, and struggling at the oars. So it's like what had been said, if, if um, we get up in the morning and confront that, 
I'm not sure if it removes all the pain, but it certainly connects us with the community, like yes. you're saying, with God and knowing that other people are in a struggling situation like Jacob as well. Yes. And we're not alone in that situation. So I just see it as a lot of wrestling um, throughout Scripture in the morning Absolutely. hour. Yes, no question. Thank you, Mike, for that. And, and so, again, um, Bonhoeffer, if you read his chapter, he'll pull all sorts of examples of this. We know the, the, the classic example of this is Jesus himself, right? So what is it, Mark, end of Mark chapter 1, I believe. Uh, by the way, of all nights, Jesus could give himself a pass for not getting up early and praying. And as soon as I say that, this is not a legalistic rule. Don't beat yourself up. It's just a rhythm. It's a rhythm. It's a rhythm, Okay. But um, what has just happened, remember Jesus has gone out and has said, he, he did, um, I think it was feeding the five, thought, no, that, that was earlier. So he's done a bunch of different things. Then he comes home after he's done a day of ministry. He comes home at home base to Simon Peter's house. And, and Peter's mom is sick. You remember this story? And he has to walk in. What do you do when you've had a long, hard day of work? At least what I do, Melly knows, I find the remote and the, and the recliner as fast as I can, Right? And so Jesus is coming into recliner time, and he walks in the door, and doggone it, the one that's supposed to help him recline is sick. So he heals her. Now that's enough. I mean, it's cool. And she gets up and starts serving because she's a good servant-hearted lady, and she, man, you get me healed. I love, there's all sorts of great stories about this. When I'm healed, I don't sit back. I go and serve with the healing I've been given. But then it says, and I quote, the whole town showed up at the door. <laughs> whole town. Exaggeration. But I mean, the whole town showed up. And Jesus healed and healed and healed and healed. And then it says, the very next passage, I think it's Mark 135. Very early in the morning. This is the part that's painful to me. While it was still dark. <laughs> Jesus got up and went to a desert place. It's literally the word. Desert place to pray. And in that moment, he was taken back to his mission, which is to serve uh, Bill's message, the kingdom of God, and not just this local group. And when the whole crowd came out again to make him king, basically, he said, I got to go to the next town because that's why I was sent. And the reason he stayed focused and in the rhythm of what he was on the planet to do is because he had a rhythm of turning, as David did, to the temple of the Lord for Jesus. It was probably the Garden of Gethsemane, who knows? But he prayed there enough that that's where they knew to betray him. Jesus had his place, and he went out there in the morning. Hear me. doesn't have to be three hours. I invite you before you get up. When you wake up, turn your hearts and your thoughts to the one who made you and made the day and pray something together with the larger body of Christ. We will uh, continue on next week. We didn't even get halfway through you know, all, all day long. We're so filled with good stuff. We didn't, we didn't quite finish stuff. Totally fine. Um, my, one of my favorite things we'll talk about is the Psalms next week, and then we'll keep moving forward into this chapter of, of Scripture and prayer together as the people of God. Let me pray. Father, let us do this. Lord, open our lips, and even now our mouths will proclaim your praise. We do give you glory as the Father that we've always needed, the one who loves, the one who cares, the one who gives his life for the sake of his children. We give you praise as the Son of God, Lord Jesus Christ, the one who sacrificed it all, who went into the shards and the brokenness, as Melanie said before, who established his kingdom, and to your incredible Holy Spirit, 
the Lord and the giver of life, the one who pours out the gifts of you, our God, among the people of God, who gives birth to the body of Christ and then sends the body of Christ in service to the world. We begin this day together as we go out for the rest of the day as the church of Jesus Christ, giving praise to you, our God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you next week.